0: Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation Limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit GP Toronto twenty seventeen to register and learn more.
1: Episode 33-0 of First Strike. We got there, boys. How's it going, everyone, with the original crew? Obviously, mine is Doug, because he's taking a little hiatus from Magic at the moment. We miss him, but I'm really happy to be with Brian, Rob, and Vince and the gang to talk about the new changes so we can tell my pal, Davies Clark, what he should think about these changes as he posted on Facebook. He had to, can't wait for the podcast so he can have us be his opinion. Uh, but before we start the show, just give our shout outs to our sponsors. First of all, our patrons, our First Strike Nation patrons, especially Brian Kwan. Shout outs to you. The show wouldn't be possible without you guys. And of course, face2facegames.com, the number one resource to get your Magic the Gathering singles. So here we go. We're ready to start. Uh, how are we feeling? I got to ask you, Brian. How, how are you doing tonight?
2: I like that you check in with me specifically, but I am doing great. And I just want to tell you, Cameron. You look fabulous today. You have like a whole Dragon Ball Z thing going on with your hair, and you just look awesome, dude. I feel like that.
1: Um, yeah, I, I just can't help messing around with my hair, and then I just I tire it just looks higher and higher. I'm getting. Did more... I miss
3: some sort of bromance announcement this week? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Rob? Life's good. Uh, I think uh, we have a good show lined up. I, I have a lot of opinions on what Watsy's doing. They, they may be turning things in the right direction for the first time in months. We'll see. <laughs>
1: All right. And we got a Dagger 4 in the house. How's it going, Vince? It's going good. I'm, I'm
0: happy to be on this episode. Like Rob said, I think there's a lot of good content, and it could be, for once, a podcast where we praise Wizards for an hour, so that could be exciting. So I'm
1: hyped. All right. So we'll, we'll start us off. Um, on Twitter, yeah, I saw the response, even on Facebook, everyone was in agreement. It just seemed even the, the harsh like the people who are usually harsh on wizards were had nothing but praise in their tweets today and you can check out all the changes in mark Rollswater's latest article called metamorphosis 2.0 and we'll just skip right to the changes uh change number one the fall winter and spring sets will all be large sets that are drafted alone there will no longer be small sets in main releases supplementary sets such as conspiracy may still be smaller all main standard legal expansions will be large and all of them will be drafted alone from a design standpoint each will have its own mechanical identity although there's potential for a small amount of overlap hmm and he talks about the reason for that is because from a creative sample we plan to stay on worlds for as many sets as makes sense for the story um rob let's start with you what, what do you think about this and how it impacts you know your play and your enjoyment
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's really two, probably two big takeaways from this announcement. The first is that the draft, like, environment for the whole year remains consistently great. (laughs) Like, almost everyone prefers to draft three of the large set over drafting, like, either two of the large set, one of the small set, or all three, or the new format of, like, two middle or two second set, one of the first set. So now we just get to always draft three of the large set. Like, I, I can't complain about that. I feel like that's all upside. And if the draft format sucks, then, you know, it's only three months before, like, the entire environment is is switched again, right? So I, I think that's definitely a welcome change for those people who, uh, who like limited. And the second is I feel like the number of cards in standard is going to go up by a very small amount. So I, I don't know what the actual... Uh, increase in percentage will be now. Like we'll have to see what size the core set is or whatever. But um, having more cards than standard is probably good. That should open up deck diversity a little bit and give them a little more room to like put the much needed answers in the format. So we don't have uh, stupid standards like we're currently sitting in right now. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm a huge um, I'm a huge fan of this change. I think it's almost all upside. So uh, congrats to them. Like you know, seeing the unobvious choice and pulling the trigger on it.
1: Okay, Vince, so I think this might be really exciting for someone like you who loves to draft a lot. Now, like, each set is going to be large sets. Is that, is that really exciting to someone
2: like you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Rob kind of hit the nail on the head there where right when you feel a draft format's about to get stave, uh, stale, which is usually when the second set is coming out to kind of keep you hooked, this is going to be... Way more than just sort of keeping you up. To, it's going to actually be exciting to be drafting again. So there's never really going to be a point where you're like, I don't want to be drafting. Ideally, um, they, I guess they could really screw up a set and you'd you'd hate it within a month, but that's very unlikely to happen. It also is kind of a response to the fact that formats are getting solved faster in the modern era with the amount of people watching streams, the amount of people actually drafting online, and just all the communication that's happening now. Um, this is a really good way to sort of tackle that issue of draft formats becoming really easy to to figure out um, relatively quickly the other thing i want to say about this point and it's not really about the actual mechanics but more like philosophically i guess is it's it's interesting to note here that wizards is letting gameplay mechanics or the mechanics of the way the game operates in general sort of override the overarching story needs that they have like, essentially, they're saying we want to have individual sets. We don't care about blocks. Even if the story might want us to have multiple sets, we still mechanically want individual large sets. And that to me is, is a really good sign that Wizards isn't going to start sacrificing gameplay for the needs of, of whatever story that they want to promote. And I like that a lot
1: as a player and not a, a reader of Magic. So it's good stuff. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting really excited. I might, I might get hooked on just nonstop modal drafting.
2: Uh, yeah. Brian, <laughs> any any last thoughts on this change? I, I think it's a tremendous change. I think that having fresh draft environments all the time is going to be great. I, I love just spanking new draft formats. You know, I, the second set, third set thing. It's kind of it's a little sad. It's something we're relegating to the past of Magic. Something we'll never do again. You know, you miss anything when it goes away, and you never ever do it. So you know, we'll see. Maybe they'll bring it back for like another um one-off rotation, and we'll get a a taste of two-set drafting again. Um, But on the whole, I've always preferred one-set drafting. I think it's a lot easier to make good one-set environments. Um, So, yeah, this this is super exciting. Um, So the fact that it's so universally exciting, though, kind of, like, raised some alarms for me. Because here's the thing. If something's so universally exciting, if we all love it, and why is it the way we've always done things? Like, why have we just not gone down this road before? And I started thinking about that. And so in thinking about that, I came up with a few small complications that could arise from doing things this way and why maybe they didn't do it this way in the past. Now, this is not to, to temper my excitement. I, I'm still totally on board with this idea. I think it's 100% correct but it's just something that maybe we could watch out for in the coming years and, and see if any of these things come to fruition. Um, so the first problem I was able to identify is that there's just more cards to be created. Like WotC has to make more cards. They have to make more standalone draft environments. And I think kind of crafting a draft environment from scratch is a little harder than bringing the second set in because the second set can kind of stand on the mechanics of the first set. Um, you know, and I think that the fact that we don't like the multi-set drafting as much has more to do with the fact that we've already drafted the first set than the fact that first set plus second set is any worse. Um, so they kind of need to come up with fresh ideas all the time. It puts a lot more pressure on Wizard staff. Hopefully, they're getting more resources in that department, and it does seem like they are. You know, they have some more announcements coming this week in terms of this uh, this new department and, and things like that. Um, so that was the first concern I noted. Uh, The next thing is the size of standard. Like Rob mentioned, it's a little bigger. I I think bigger standards can be problematic sometimes. I think a lot of ideas get squeezed out, um, and you kind of lose a lot of cards in the shuffle, because, I mean, like, it's so hard to meet the correct power threshold when standard's so large, because you're just going to pull the very best from all the sets. And so the stuff that's kind of in the middle that would have gotten play in a smaller standard just kind of floats away, and we don't get to play with it. So that's a little concerning. Um, But that can be mitigated. And like Rob said, the change isn't that big. There's not that many more cards coming into Standard. This is more, I think, an already existing problem. And this doesn't really do anything to rectify the size of Standard. So there is a little wrinkle. I think M sets, I'll call them M sets, but core sets, they may not sell. Um, I know that when half the cards are reprints, I'll disengage from the set a little bit. However, I do love the draft environments, So I think draft will still continue to motivate um, core set sales, but it could be that they see a little downtick uh, and who knows if corporate is prepared to accept that. They might kind of bristle a little bit when the numbers on the core sets start dropping and they say, well, why are we even bothering making the set if we're selling half as much you know, core set as we do a regular set? Let's just replace it with another set. Um, But, you know, obviously Wizards has a reason and I think can show examples of how not having a core set has hurt us over these past few years. So hopefully that's mitigated. And the final point I would note is that Mark Rosewater is a huge fan of the saying, restrictions breed creativity. when I think of Mark Rosewater's design philosophy, to me, that's his main mantra. That's what he says all the time. And in making these changes, they threw a lot of restrictions out the window. They basically said, well, we're not... We're not stuck on, you know, having to stay just X long on a certain plane. We'll we'll go and we'll come and go as we please now. And you know, we're not set with having mechanics be different between all set. We may just carry them over as we want. So they're removing a lot of the restrictions that they face in doing so. Um, I like it. It sounds good to me. But I'm just pointing out that it seems to contrast a little bit with his design philosophy. Um, where he, he really relied on restrictions to kind of force the team in new directions. Now he's just letting the team go in new directions. We'll see how that affects creativity in the coming years. So, like I said, totally on board, but I just wanted to jot down a few thoughts that I have of, of why this maybe didn't exist in the past and what could be the problems going forward. So,
3: Yeah, this is kind of like a new restriction, though, right? So it's not... It's a different kind of restriction, maybe for them, but um, we'll we'll see how they like you said. We'll see how they do from a with that draft problem.
2: perspective. From a draft perspective, yeah. you're right. Like it'll always be a new draft environment, and that is a new restriction. So I, I see what you're saying. You can, you can certainly look at it either way you want, but I think on the whole, you would consent that this is a. Lessening of restrictions, yeah, yeah. It, it
3: loses yeah. the requirements on them for sure. I, I, I can agree with that. So on, uh, you kind of made me uh, think about something that was interesting. You said maybe the the corset sales may be even worse than they were previously, which is probably uh, true. Actually, I, I could see it being like that because in his his article, he did mention that the corset was probably going to be a little bit smaller and a little bit simpler and like really more focused on uh, introductory players, and it'll be like okay to draft once or twice, but it's like if you're a veteran. It's not gonna be like your summer's worth of drafting. Uh I guess, unless you're doing very well. I maybe mean, you open hotter, they put a lot of money in the set. So maybe they did this because they're going like they already have all these summer releases, right? With like EMA or Modern Masters or Conspiracy or something. So they'll probably launch those two like very close together. And right now you have this awkward, almost like uh there's too much, right? Like they, it's overspiced, <laughs> if you will. And it's like, I, I don't have enough time to draft all this stuff. Like, I don't have enough money to to do all these things or whatever. But now, like, for the veteran players, probably, like, Modern Masters will be, like, just before or just after the core set. Probably just after, I, I would guess. Um, which gives you, like, something for them to do while, like, the newer players can still enjoy the core set. And you, like, won't feel like you broke the bank or, like, invested way too much time uh, trying to draft all these things. Or, like, you didn't get enough of what you were trying to get. Which is, I, I kind of felt that way a little bit with how many releases they are doing a year, uh, like, last year and, and this year. So, I don't know, maybe it maybe kind of balances out now those, um, uh, I don't know, master sets, if you will, will have, like, some space in the middle of the year where they can actually, like, be what they're meant to be instead of, like, some
1: rush to, like, get in there before all the packs go to $20 a apiece. <laughs> um, well, you guys jumped into, like, Brian jumped into the change number two that I was talking about, which is uh, the summer set will be a revamped core set. That's number two on the Metamorphosis 2.0. Um, Vince, do you have anything to add on onto the return yeah. of the core sets?
0: I actually think it's a really good thing. I think um, the way they announced this core set is almost identical to the way they announced Magic 2010. In the sense that they said it's going to be half cards that are reprints, half new cards. And the aim is sort of to hit the sort of beginner, intermediate level players for drafting. Um, those draft formats, 2010, 2011, 2012, most of them were pretty good anyway. Like even though they said they were aimed for newer players, and you could kind of get a, a feel for that. A lot of the cards were like French vanilla creatures, and the mechanics were pretty straightforward. Um, still a great draft environment. Like I enjoyed those draft environments just as much as I've done a lot of the, you know, regular expansion sets. So I totally am okay with them bringing core sets back. I don't think it ruins or, or tampers with the draft experience at all. Also, I think giving giving WotC an opportunity to reprint maybe 80 plus cards that they might need to reprint just as a, an easy way for them to balance standard as they go through the rotations is really important and I think that's something that people aren't thinking about a lot. Like it's one thing to to try to create new cards that help you balance a set but when you have or balance a, a format, but when you have, you know, like a, a library of twenty thousand magic cards to work from in order to try to balance a format, it can sometimes be a lot easier to just work with past uh, examples of things that worked and, and you don't run into risks like Marvel is happening now. So I'm I'm
1: all for a corset like coming back. Um so a small little tangent for me. Um Rob, when's the last time that you've had to teach someone from from scratch? play magic and you think like secondary to that but if you haven't and if you if you have to is there a product that that you go to 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 teach them like because they're trying to design this the stuff that this is the go-to for you to introduce to a new player
3: yeah i've uh only had like two people who didn't play magic before be kind of interested in playing it and i just like pointed them to duels and said like you know download this and like go through like all of the campaigns and stuff and if you still like the game then you know come back and we can discuss like where to go from here right and neither of them like ended up uh playing after they they completed duels but i, I think that's just like the best learning experience right because there is like at their own pace and it teaches you enough of the stuff that um when you actually try to like learn like the more advanced concepts you like you know have a flow of the game and you understand like what spells do and when you can interact and that, those kind of things right so I, I would just point them to duels so yeah i i've never tried to teach someone paper magic uh by sitting at a table and like teaching them mechanics i feel like that's just i don't know a disaster i guess
1: <laughs> i mean you think duels is like has a decent chance of converting them into players or they'll just play something like you know like Hearthstone or any of the competitors and be like oh man this is just so much easier and quicker and smoother in terms of gameplay yeah i think that's probably a
3: rough uh a rough thing for them to deal with at least like the duels animations are like a lot richer than moto <laughs> but uh yeah i i don't know i i just like i can't think at that level where it's like what is the person that literally knows nothing about the game? Like, what do they need to know, and in what order to like be functional? Right? i be like, oh yeah, like you know, you want to hold this card because like it could have. This is like they- they're not interested in having those conversations, right? I just like I can't I can't back up enough so that it's not annoying for them to be deep learning from me. So yeah, like it's once they get past up. that
0: sorry you're too much of a pro now you can't no it's not it's not that i just like
3: i'm just like not i'm not thinking about what they need to be thinking about right like the people at watsi they put a lot of time developing duels and the way that it teaches you how to play in a way like for people coming from nothing how can they learn how to play magic right so the product's like set up to do that so i feel like uh that's that's where they want to be and after they've done that then they can reach out to someone like me or or Vince, or anyone that, like, knows what's going on and be like, okay, you know, how do I play tournaments and, and what do I need to do and, and that kind of stuff, right? If that's, if that's their jam.
1: Okay. Um, we'll have to change number three. A different approach to the Gatewatch. Starting with Outer Devastation, we're making three fixes. We're significantly pulling back on how often the Gatewatch will appear as walker cards. And uh, I'll just skim through this. Number two, our new plan is to continue to design flavorful story cards, but only push them for constructive when... Through playtesting, we believe that they lead to a better constructed environment. And three, the Gatewatch are still our protagonists, but every member will no longer show up in every block. Okay, Brian, our design guy, what, what do you think about this? I think a lot of people are excited
2: about this. I don't... To me, this never really mattered. bothered me that much, actually. Uh, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't bother me that much. I, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about the change, but the old way wasn't The most devastating thing available i mean it's just like they couldn't do this forever right like did they really think until the end of time magic was going to be about these five planeswalkers and that was it i mean like this is an inevitability i i didn't think that i don't know i wasn't under the impression that we were locked into the gate watch for till the end of time and i mean it seemed like it was something there was going to run its course at some point um maybe it ran its course quicker than they anticipated but um yeah I look forward to not seeing as much Gatewash. And the thing with the with the story cards being pushed, I mean obviously that was a problem, right? Like look at look at Emrakul. Um I look at, you know, things like Gideon. Um this was something that I see where they were going with it. I think they did not realize the implications of the fact that their pushed card was a colorless card that would kind of go on to uh, define the format and create really unfun game states. So, um, yeah, goodbye, Gatewatch. Don't come back for a little while. I- I've heard people talk, and obviously, this isn't my wheelhouse, so I don't care that much. But I've heard people say things like, um, you know, a set where it's just Liliana and she's exploring like a necromancy type place, and I'm like, okay, like I guess there's there's cool stuff going on there. Like it's a lot easier for them to get some interest out of me as someone who's not devoted to the story about like a one-off about one of these characters than it is about these five kind of superheroes gallivanting around a multiverse. Like I'm just not into them as characters in that way, but I think as solo individuals, maybe there could be more interesting um, things explored. So yeah, again, universal praise for this announcement. Goodbye, Gatewatch. Don't, don't rush back. I don't need you. That's (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way. I didn't feel like, I was under that assumption that they're just going to keep using these guys, and that they had to just put it out that that they're not going to come back over and over. Um, anything else from you guys, uh, Vince? Pretty good. Just
0: yeah, I mean, it was getting to a point where the set started feeling very similar because it was the same faces doing the same things. Like, oh, now there's another enemy on a different plane, and we're all going there to fight it. And we're the same five people. It was just like, okay. I mean, if you're someone who cares about the story, that's not a very interesting story when you have five people running around to now we're in Egypt land killing the Egypt guy. And now we're in Innistrad land killing the Innistrad guy. Like it's not very creative to have the story run over and over again with different background on it. Right. So I think that's probably a good idea to, to not have the same five names in every story. And it's cool to go to a plane and see new planeswalkers, right? Like we went to Mirrodin, we fit, we met Cough. I don't know, people care about that kind of stuff,
1: so I'm I'm in if other people are in. All right, continuing with you, Vince. On the next one, change number four: the Masterpiece series will revert to being in fewer sets. They're talking about how because they've been doing it so much that the the quality level wasn't up to their standards, so they've decided that uh, our des- devastation will still have Amulet invocations, but for example, like the next block. I don't know how to pronounce it. Ixelon. I think it's Ixelon. Yeah. Ixelon will not have any masterpieces. So, what are your thoughts on that? Especially, uh, we had a good episode on the uh, Egyptian <laughs> ones.
0: I'm I'm for it. I'm for it. I think this last set was probably a a good sort of kick in the right direction for them to be like, maybe we shouldn't do this all the time. Because yeah, I mean. Merit the nail on the head in the article like you start diluting the value of these things when you print them all the time and it's cool and it's shiny and it's exciting but when you do it literally every set people are going to eventually be like I don't care about these things and that's kind of what ended up happening with uh with Ammon so I think this is the right call I like the idea that they're not making a specific schedule like oh we're going to have it one set per year do it when the set calls for it like Zendikar with Expeditions made sense it felt right it fit really well with the theme of the set these invocations in Amonkhet just feel forced. So I like the idea of add masterpieces or whatever you want to call them when they feel right. I'm I'm totally into this. Rob Yeah, I mean <laughs> we all must have like
3: sensed this change was coming eventually, right? Like how many times can you print 50, 50 like high-end reprints every every block, right? I feel like the original conversation was in Zendikar. They're like, okay, like we have this awesome new frame for Fetchlands. Let's do them like full art foil. It's going to look sick. And someone was like, yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense. We'll do these 10. But, you know, when are we going to be able to do the other lands again? Oh, we'll, we'll do them all then. We'll, we'll add more slots. And they just ended up with like 45 slots or whatever, right? And they're like, oh, man, these went over so well. Let's do it again for, for Kaladesh. And they probably were like, oh, there's so many great artifacts. Like, we just don't even have enough space. Okay, well, we kind of set this precedent of 45. Let's just, let's go again where we'll do it again. And then, like, someone someone must have been like, that's it, 45's the stamp, that's how many we're doing every block. And, like, quickly, in the third block, they realize, oh, this is way too much. (laughs) Again, just over-spiced, right? Like, just dump the whole can of of salt in the soup, and it's not so good anymore. Um, So, yeah, I'm very happy that they're pulling back. I think, maybe if they would have started a lot slower, like, if it was, like, five cards a set, or ten cards a set, and they were super exclusive, probably they could have kept doing them uh, every set, and it would have been it would have been fine. But yeah, like a hundred cards a year. It's like, that's quite a bit. <laughs> it's like half a master set just, you know, forced into a, uh, into random blocks. So yeah, I, I'm very happy with them just doing something that makes sense. If it makes sense to put them in the set, they'll put them in the set. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know. All the changes seem like they're stopped. They're stopping uh, doing things that are just forced. They're just doing things that make, make sense now
1: which is, uh, that's good. It's a good sign fail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Change number 5, we're changing things behind the scenes. Uh, this has been talked about in whether it was, I think, Margaret Rollswater alluded to it in on Tumblr, or, or it was tweeted about here and there, that they were going to do this, and they're more specific in this article, and how they've formed part of It's forming a new group in R&D called Play Design. They've moved a few of their contractors into full-time employees, including Melissa Del Toro and Andrew Brown. And they're looking externally for additional people to join the team. And the idea of Play Design is having a core set of people focused on a play environment, mostly standard, draft, and sealed. They'll be dedicated not just to play testing, but to be available from the very start of the process to the very end to make sure that decisions at every step are taking tournament play into account. This team is reinventing how we craft environments and how we monitor them through the R&D process to minimize the kind of things that have have recently happened in Standard. An article by Dan introducing the game will be appearing later this week. Hmm. We get to Brian. Like, why haven't
2: there been this type of team before, Brian? Yeah, I mean, that's all I can say about this. This sounds great, right? And I'm like, wow, great idea. Then I stop and think and go... Wait a second, you weren't already doing this? How is that even possible that this is not something you were considering before? Like, you seriously didn't have a team who was thinking about what the tournament environment might be like. Now, I understand this is probably semantics in some ways, right? Like, as you're designing a set, you're certainly not sitting there with your fingers in your ears as it comes to the tournament scene. Like, you're thinking about what standard is going to look like and, and what's going to happen. But the fact that it wasn't A clearly delineated process that had a a dedicated team figuring out what is standard going to look like? Is this going to be a fun environment for our players? Um, That's a little crazy to me. But sticking with the theme of today's show, we're not going to criticize. We're going to move forward. We're going to look ahead and just be happy that this is finally a change that is coming. um, And, you know, nothing but but great things in the future. And I, I do feel like, we're in the midst of a week where we're turning a corner in Magic things have not been good over the last few years. And I, I think that's very clear. It's something that has... The more I talk to people, the more I reminisce, the more I think about how I used to feel playing Magic and think about the games I used to play, things have not been good lately. And it, the first step is recognizing there's a problem. And very clearly in this article, they have set the tone for this week. And what Mark Rosewater has said is things have not been goodly. And that's the first step to any kind of effective change. And the scale of changes they're willing to implement, as shown here, um, is giving me a lot of hope for the future. So, yeah, I can't believe this team didn't exist, but great job putting it together, and I hope this team makes a difference going forward.
1: Robert, are you excited? Or do you think uh, we're not going to have this type of standard uh, anymore? No, uh... and) <laughs> Yeah,
3: that'll be that'll be the real test for this team, right? Because if they add it and standard doesn't get any better then there's like so that means there's some other systemic problem that they're uh, unable to <laughs> to solve properly. So, I mean, I agree on, on paper. It just like makes no sense for this team not to exist. It's like, oh, how do cards affect tournament magic? Yeah, we should probably have someone thinking about that. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if, like, how large is the team? It looks like it's going to be, like, somewhere between six and eight people, I think, from the article, uh, given, like, how much they're talking about it and how large the team's going to be. So, like, with that, like, how well can this group of people um, brew and find overpowered strategies to, like, just kind of turn the volume knobs down a bit, right? They're kind of, like, uh, just making sure things don't go haywire. I I think that's probably going to be their mandate. We'll see more when... um, when they release the article probably, I guess on, on Friday, but um, yeah, I don't know. They have a lot of work cut out for them. I'm like, magic's not easy. So, (laughs) and they're working with cards that are, that are uh, like probably changing uh, while they're using them. So yeah, I don't know. I'm hopeful that this is a good change, but I'm also a little bit skeptical that uh, it will improve things too much. Um, I'll have to reserve like my real judgment until after the first year of them being at their, their new role. Uh, is able to see, like, where the power level of things uh, turn up.
1: As usual, I'm, I'm looking at all these uh, this five changes. I'm always impressed at how fast. I feel like they do it faster than most other games or, or companies that I've had to maybe invest in um, by playing their game or something like that. There's always, like, once there's a complaint online, I feel like they do address it reasonably. Um, so Vince, overall, very excited about these changes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Brian made a good point here. There's a level of, like, catharsis that comes with this announcement, right? There's just this, like, we finally feel like we're on the upslope because we've been on such a long downtrend in in just the overall quality of Magic in terms of play, standard format, even other formats that i have no interest in it's just in general magic has not been in a good place and they've made a lot of announcements in the past that felt like they had no idea how to fix it and they were actively making it worse and this is like the first major like we understand we've done something wrong and we're going to fix it and this is a few of the first steps tomorrow will be another interesting day uh the rest of the week is going to be really interesting uh but monday was a very good start for this week of announcements and i'm excited for the rest of them so overall good stuff
1: righty um there were more changes besides this this was more exciting because it impacted the the way we're going to be enjoying and playing magic in, in the coming years so very like still like super 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 stoked about the changes they announced today last week they had mentioned some hall of fame changes some updates so uh, ballots for this year's Pro Tour Hall of Fame will be going out at the end of the month. We're taking this opportunity to also update some of the rules regarding which players are eligible to appear on the ballot, as well as what percentage of the vote player needs to be inducted into the Pro Tour Hall of Fame. First up, are the following tweaks to eligibility effective this year. The player must have at least two final day finishes to have their name on the 2017 Hall of Fame selection ballot. This change is is being made to reflect a lot of the selection committee and greater communities thresholds in voting for eligible candidates. A final day finish is defined as either an individual Pro Tour Top 8, a team Pro Tour Top 4, or a Top 4 in a World Championship event dating back to 2012. This will be in addition to the requirements that players have at least 150 lifetime Pro Points and played in their first Pro Tour at least 10 seasons ago. Hmm. So at least two final day finishes. So I guess they're trying to make it more strict, trying to downsize the amount of candidates. What do you think about this, Brian?
2: I think this is mostly housekeeping. I mean nobody who didn't have two ProTor top eights was ever going to get elected to the Hall of Fame. Like this is just a way to clean up the ballot a little bit, make it a little bit more accessible to voters, a little cleaner. Um, so that's not really a big deal. Um ten years, yeah. Uh, this this is the change that like was sorely needed, and I would make it longer than ten years if I could. Um, this would do a lot to alleviate the problems of like the player who is in the midst of their dominant streak being put in the Pro Tour, a la Owen. Um, you know, again, I've we've made this, we've had this discussion. I've made this argument: Owen is hundred percent deserving of being in the Pro Tour, but he's a contemporary player, and to me, that's not the way a Pro Tour should work. It, it's kind of like after your career is winding down, and I think this ten-year Um, kind of barrier. We'll do some of that. Um, Any any steps to make the Pro Tour smaller at this point seems like a net win to me. I I think the Pro Tour is already too large. Um, We can't go back in time now. That's unfortunate. Um, I think there's some people who are there who maybe don't meet my standards as a Pro Tour player. Um, But, you know, they made it under the, the old system, so they've earned it. And going forward it'll be a little bit cleaner and I think we'll have more deserving candidates in the coming years. So good change. Okay.
1: Um I'm not I'm not sure if this is new, Brian. Because the way this article mentions is like
2: this will be the, the, the dis- ten year period? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think? It I was? thought it was five years before. Okay. That it was ten. It was ten years. Yeah. It was previously ten. Yeah. yeah, you had
3: you had to be you you have had to qualify for your first pro tour at least ten years ago. Before you're eligible to be on the ballot,
2: uh, I, I thought it was five years previously. Okay, that's that's my mistake. Then, then this is not solving the problem. That we're really pushing yourself. for twenty or something. That's that's what we would do, I guess. <laughs>
3: Brian, <laughs> so Brian wants so, you to be like next to the grave when you like,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah be almost dead before you're you're like you in get the hospice already. <laughs> I think that's the correct way to do it. Uh, you have to show like proof of some kind of really horrible disease, and then you're allowed into the proctor. <laughs> uh, no, I don't actually want that for anyone. Um, that, that's funny. I, I really thought it was a five-year period. So, so Owen played his first Pro Tour in 2006? That yeah, would I, have guess, to be I true. guess so. Huh. I, I did not know that. That's very interesting. I'll fact check that um, while we're meandering. Yeah, because I, I feel like he had just started Nick Pro Tour as one. I, I did, but I could be a thousand percent wrong on that. I don't profess to be an expert on the history of Owen's career. Um, so, if, if that's the case, I wish they would have upped that threshold. <laughs> um, but requiring the t- that then that means they did actually nothing. I mean, because all they did was remove people without two Pro Tour top Well, you weren't getting into the hall anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Um, so my opinion is now pending the results of Rob's investigation into the previous rules.
3: Yeah, two thousand seven uh, Valencia was his first Pro Tour.
2: Ooh. All right, so I hate this. They did nothing. So- they, didn't, they didn't fix any of the problems with the Pro Tour, and I'm back to being angry. Good, because I was being too happy for a while. I honestly felt <laughs> like I was losing my edge, and I'm really happy that I could be outraged about something. Make the Pro Tour smaller. This is terrible.
3: <laughs> I-, I agree that it doesn't solve like the problem you and Vince had previously with, with like people getting on like it's too soon or whatever for them to get into the hall of fame or the hall of fame is not a real hall of fame or whatever kind of nonsense you guys were spouting about it. But um, I think that they did do something very interesting. Like you said that it's not going to affect things too much. It was more house cleaning, but I think the ramifications are probably a little bit broader where you have to have top aided a PT twice in the last five years to be eligible. Right. Uh, to, to be on the ballot. Now I, I think that was the announcement. Is that right car? If you have, to have two final day finishes, you have to on do the ballot, right? Yeah,
1: um, in the last five years dating back to 2012, yeah,
3: yeah. So, like, I don't know if that's going to move like every year. Like, is it going to be okay? Next year is going to be 2013, or is it always 2012? I'm not sure, but like, it does make it awkward for people who have been on the ballot for a long time and have been like kind of close, but not quite getting in. Like, I know there's a, a couple of guys from way back that have like four PT top eights that have just been like sitting in the 20 to 30 percent range for quite a while um that have never quite made it on and if they had like maybe they came back and they top eighted one pt they'd probably be, you know be like okay that five pts the guy came back like he's still great yeah he's kind of a, a shoe in for the for the next ballot but now like that guy doesn't get on right <laughs> he's gonna he's got a top eight twice uh before he gets back on the ballot which i mean if, if they do that then it's obviously a clear uh vote in uh if they have a clean record to be in in the hall of fame. But um, yeah, I think it makes it really tough for those people that were on the ballot from way back and don't have any recent success either. Cause they're not really playing or they're not taking the game too seriously. Um, or they're just like, maybe not good anymore. I, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, those people are, they're probably the ones feeling the pain. I, I don't know how hard it's going to be to meet this requirement. It seems kind of difficult.
0: Did you have something to add? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two things. The first thing is the 2012 thing. I'm fairly confident only refers to top four in a world championship event because that's when they changed the format. So the, the top base for the, the pro tours goes all the way back 10 seasons. I th- as far as I understand by reading the article, I might be wrong, but I just wanted to make that clarification. The other thing is there's another part to this that we haven't mentioned, and that's that the threshold to actually get in, in terms of a percentage of votes has gone up from 40 to 60%. And that's the biggest change in the actual voting system. Like that's, where they're trying to actually reduce the number of people that get in by making the threshold 60% of voters instead of 40% of voters. Um, I don't think that was the right way for them to do it. I think they should have just reduced the number of votes that everyone gets because what's currently happening right now is everyone has five votes and people are intentionally not using all five of their votes in order to keep certain people that they believe shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame out. Um, so Wizards response to that was, okay, let's just increase the threshold so that everyone will just use all of their votes and not feel like they're eliminating someone who might potentially be worthy. But realistically, people who have the ability to vote are still only going to vote for whoever they want in and not use all five of their votes. So I I think a better solution would have been to maybe give people two votes or three votes to just start reducing the actual quantity of, uh, of people that get in. but yeah, I think I think that was a major part of the change. When when Brian was saying nothing's happening, I think that was because he, the part about the threshold being bumped up hadn't been mentioned, and that's that's actually going to remove a lot of people that otherwise would be getting into the the Hall of Fame, hopefully in the long term. So, yeah.
1: Hmm, that's a good point. I, I didn't think about that. I personally have had a vote for a while now. I don't think I deserved it, and at the very beginning when they were just giving them out to. Anybody who had a a podcast, I agree. (laughs) There were a lot of people that, you know, I I was probably on that edge of, you know, because I didn't obviously didn't know people from that that dominated in the past. I was very in tune with the magic community, of course, with man deprived and my involvement with people like Alex Hayne and all the Canadian pros and good players then. But I definitely didn't know everything that all the good plays that deserve to be like, I wasn't around playing when, when Chris Pakula was playing and his community community contributions. So, but over the years, um, Vince, I was one of those people who have not voted for five. I've probably voted two or three in every single year and likely will be doing the same this year. And, uh, didn't think about that implication that, that you just you just brought up because that might really impact people's some people's chances of, of getting there. Um, before just, you go
3: on, before you go on out, just I can correct a mistake I made. So yeah, it wasn't that they need Vince is correct. It's not that they need two final day finishes in the last five years. It's they just need two final day finishes. So it screws the people who are on the ballot without any PT top eights, which I guess changes nothing since those people were never making it on. Into the Hall of Fame, anyways.
1: So, my bad. <laughs> go, go ahead. I guess, like Brian said, it just shrinks the ballot for, for people who are voting.
3: Yeah, no, it makes um, sense. It makes sense. You guys got me. Oh,
1: I'm at fault. <laughs> um, so, uh, Misplaced Ginger's godfather, Chris Pakula, like, like I just mentioned, might have. It's just funny. I'm reading this Reddit post. Um, uh, this is the first most upvoted uh, reply to the Pro Tour Hall of Fame up- updates. Frankly, the big story here is the impact. Chris Pakula, he missed by 1.6% last time he was on the ballot in 2013, as which the required full points to get on the ballot were increased to 150 from 100. He spent the time since getting to 150, which he has now achieved and will be on the ballot this year. But now, instead of going from 38.4% of votes to 40% of votes, he now has to go from 38.4% of votes to 60%. Chris Pakula is basically the only reason I care about the Hall of Fame. And seeing this happen to him after he's ground out the points he needed over the last few years is really galling. Looks like he's resigned to his fate on Twitter, but it seems like he definitely misplayed last year. Just seems like they're making rules to get him to not have him in the hall, Rob. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, he
3: might be the reason for the change. (laughs) Some of that Watsy feels very wronged by him.
0: (laughs) It's an interesting conspiracy. (laughs) Realistically, you can reduce like there's only a fixed number of people that these rules affect, and legitimately, like it's Chris McCullough. Like I feel bad for the guy. It's pretty much essentially him that he's getting hosed. So
3: yeah, I mean, he just needs to just top eight a PT man, and then you'll get voted on. Like that's it. That should just that should be your goal. Stop. Stop with the mini grind. Just. Put, put the time in and short burst for the PT and, and really try and get there. I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a shoe-in with, with another PT top eight, so I, I don't think he should be aiming to get in in basically any other way
1: now. So, yeah, it's tough beats, but it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I get that. So I actually just got the email a few hours ago about whether I want to uh, submit my vote this year, and I will, so... Uh, moving on to this was early last week uh, announced news of uh, potentially a Magic the Gathering MMO. Cryptic Studios and Perfect World, two companies with plenty of experience making online worlds, worlds are creating a Magic the Gathering massively multiplayer online role playing game. And uh, Cryptic has also created notable MMOs like City of Heroes and Star Trek Online. The studio is working on the Magic MMO at its Los Gatos office in California. So what did you think about this news when you heard about this, Brian?
2: At first, I was just kind of like, okay, this isn't for me. This isn't where I would have allocated resources, but it seems fine. Like, you know, just more exposure for magic. Some people will play the MMO and, you know, maybe get exposed to magic and show up. And that's always a good thing to grow the community. And then the more I like spoke to everyone, apparently MMOs are just dead, and I'm like old and don't know that. But people are just like, MMOs are garbage, nobody plays them anymore. I'm looking at subscriber numbers. I see like Final Fantasy has like 10 million subscribers and World of Warcraft still has 10 million subscribers, and there's MMOs that are huge in Korea, things like I think it's called Blade in Seoul, and Soul and, and things like that. So I'm thinking MMOs are still prospering, but apparently I'm I'm just an old guy who's out of touch and MMOs are completely dead. I I don't know. I'll let the other guys fill in the blanks here. It seemed net positive, but the general reception was lukewarm to say the least. And I guess MMOs are just on their way out now. Hmm. Well, it just surprised
1: me for me as a, I touched a bit of MMO in the past with World of Warcraft. And then when Guild Wars came out, I played a bit of that. But it just seemed like any new MMO would always get quashed by the king. Um, Vince is nodding. <laughs> what do you think about this MMO business? Like, just a horrible idea. I'm sorry. I'm not.
0: I'm, I don't buy the argument that it's a free thing for them to do. It's not costing them any resources. Like, you, regardless of whether or not internally they're developing the MMO, because obviously they're not. They're outsourcing it to a studio that's done this before. It's still a constraint on where they want to manage their marketing budget, where they want to devote energy in terms of overarching direction for their brand. And this is just not, it doesn't make any sense. Like MMOs have been, there's basically been one to three successful MMOs in the last 10 years. And it's ones that have already existed in some shape or form for the last decade. Uh, It's kind of a dying genre in terms of subscriber counts, even though yes, final fantasy and wow have a ton of players that, Those are players that are very sticky, and they've been there since two thousand and five. Like, it's not the type of thing where you're you're getting new people coming into MMOs. Why would Magic be an MMO? It doesn't really make sense for the game. The studio just makes bad MMOs. Like, none of them have done well. Just overall, it's just such a weird and bad direction like i i'm i'm reading twitter and i'm seeing people say like oh cool chandelar 2.0 this is the furthest thing from chandelar 2.0 this is not gonna be chandelar 2.0 and if it was i'd be super excited for it this is just gonna be some like bad weird (laughs) game that no one wants to play that has magic (laughs) written on it and someone's gonna start playing it and be like oh magic's stupid i definitely don't want to play magic so this is a horrible idea and i hate it Whoa. Whoa. Vince, we're
3: supposed to be nice to Watsy this week. No, this is the exception. The MMO is awful. Didn't you get the memo? No. (laughs) Yeah, so in the beginning, uh, I was like a neutral to to neutral positive on uh, the announcement. I thought it's like almost zero cost to them to do it. Um, it, Like Brian said, it gives some exposure and and that's all fine. Let's some kind of explore a new space. But I, I kind of um listening to Vince's argument, I definitely have to flip my opinion a, a bit. Like I agree that MMOs are not where you really want to be in the digital realm, uh, right now. I think if they would have done something more like Overwatch or League of Legends, that probably also fits with like the plane like what planeswalkers can do in an interesting way. So but I I mean, they have to start somewhere, I guess, and this is a at least a fine place to start. Like, I don't know if this design studio has the capability to design good games. Vince doesn't have a lot of faith in them, but oh, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't played anything they previously made, but well, maybe that's a signal too, I guess. I don't know. Um, I think the, the really like the key thing from this announcement is that the new guy came in and said he was going to create a group that was going to spread magic's brands to other platforms in ways that are not just, uh, like playing magic cards whether that's in paper or or in digital right and like he has done that quite quickly so i mean i'm glad that at least when they it seems like when their ceo announces that they want to do something that he's able to rally the people together to like put something put some plan together and actually enact it so i mean that there's something for that i guess even if it is a failed experiment at least they're like doing it they said they were going to do it and they're doing it <laughs> so I'll, I'll give them credit for that and i'll wait to see the final product if it ever makes it to market uh before i call it crap but yeah, i with Vince said it's likely not time and money well spent but we'll see do you think we're gonna see the movie uh rob <laughs> i mean there was that, that tweet by the writer from game of thrones that was apparently on the project and someone said hey like what's going on man and he's like i I'm not on the project anymore, so I don't know. <laughs> so it sounds like it's just kind of spinning its wheels. And I, I don't know like what phase, like I don't know the movie making market, so I don't know where it would be stuck, where like the writer's not engaged anymore. So it's probably still stuck in, in concepting or whatever, right? Um, which feels like it's very far away from uh, seeing the light of day. But I mean, there's a lot of reasonable magic stories that I feel like you could put into the big screen. So it doesn't seem too hard. Uh, unless they really want to line up all the stars so it's like, okay, there's going to be this big story that's happening in 2020 and we want to be able to, like, write that story now and have all these events happen and then have the movie come out with the set and, like, all these things are, like, lined up to take advantage of that. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of hard work for not a lot of game. They could just, like, cherry-pick some great story from the past uh, and make a movie about it, like maybe the origins of the Planeswalkers or something. (laughs) That feels like a reasonable place to start. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't think we're gonna see it anytime soon. I would be very surprised if it was here before 2020.
1: I'd be, I would just be
3: very impressed, actually. Yeah. Uh,
1: I can't wait to, for you to love the movie and love the MMO. Like it. I hope. I hope I do love them. That
3: would, that would be super. I, I definitely won't play the MMO. There's no way that I would ever play it. <laughs> doesn't matter what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're getting towards the, the tail end of the show, so we can just uh, mildly give our, give our brief expectations for tomorrow's ban or unban announcement. We'll start so that he can get it out of the way right away. Brian, what's getting bad
2: or unban tomorrow? KYT is making fun of me right now. I'll give you guys a little behind-the-scenes peek, because I so adamantly said... Please don't make me talk about bands again. All we do is talk about bands. I don't want to talk about bands, um, but here I am talking about bands. So we're gonna, we are going to do this briefly, though. Keep it brief, guys. Otherwise, I swear to God, I'll come to Canada and there'll be trouble. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start with um, Modern. I think no Modern changes. I think Modern is actually in a fairly good place right now. I've enjoyed the Modern the last few times I've played it, which if you guys are longtime listeners, you know I've previously raged against Modern not bad right now. I, I think it's a pretty good format. There's some interesting stuff going on. Um, so I think modern stays the way it is. Standard, I think... I want something to happen. I, I think if you're asking me to like give odds, I think the favorite is No Changes. Um, but the alternative is I could see Marvel ban and maybe Reflector Mage unban just to like kind of get some, some capital back. Like, oh, here's your cards back. Sorry, we took them away. But that unbanning Reflector Mage, it's just, like, it's just safe. It doesn't actually do anything. It's like, and people still don't like playing against Reflector Mage. So I, I guess like if you were to ask me to rank the possibilities, I would say, number one, no changes. Number two, Marvel ban... And that's it. And number three, Marvel ban uh, Reflector Mage unban. But I think we're going to see no changes.
1: No changes from Brian. Rob with the eyebrows.
2: Uh, yeah, I think
3: there's going to be no bans. Um, I feel like they are, are going to use the justification of the last three GPs were very diverse, and therefore we don't need to ban anything. Uh but I feel like they're going to unban hundred percent Reflector Mage. I think that card has no business being on the ban list right now. <laughs> it makes no sense. Um now that uh like Sahili uh Thaladar Guardian combo is, is no longer a thing. At least like that that could possibly be some sort of tempo deck, which is fine. Um, and I guess it keeps Ulamog in check a little bit. And it's because Marvel doesn't put it into play in its cast. It's like not the literal worst, I guess, makes them marvel on your turn again instead of on theirs, so you you have your mana to interact with it. So I think that's a fine uh, change that should be expected. And I also think that since they're going to leave Standard in a Haywire um, mess for the time being, that they're going to unban Copter. So, that the aggro decks also again have a chance against the menace that is <laughs> Etherworks Marvel. Um, basically, bringing back Blue White Flash uh, in its entirety to keep the Marvel deck uh, in check. So, that's what I think is going to happen in standard. In modern, uh, I feel like something's getting unbanned, and I'll go with Chase the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> also, just doesn't deserve to be on the, the ban list. There are. Lots of other crazy things going on uh, in Modern. Uh, They could also unban Jitte, too. I guess that would be uh, a reasonable thing for them to do. I think both of those cards are underpowered compared to where the format is currently at and would be a welcome change to to what's going on. But Modern is in a pretty good space, so maybe they just kind of save that for a future date
0: when things get a little stale.
1: Okay. Vince, you got any opinion on the
0: uh, constructed side of things? Sure. I'm just going to run, like, crazy hot takes so that if I'm right... bringer banned, limited. I look like a massive genius if I just say some crazy stuff and it actually happens. Um, (laughs) So let's start with standard. I think Ulamog is going to be banned in standard. (laughs) Only because that seems to be Wizards' way of trying to fix the Marvel deck. Is Rather than banning Marvel, they just go after the thing that people are marveling. So Ulamog banned. Do you think it's
3: easier if they just ban the Eldrazi
0: creature type, then? Maybe, there's another thing they could do. They could ban energy. <laughs> no, anyway. Hot <laughs> uh, take number two. No, no, no. So, I'm saying Ulamog banned Reflector Mage unbanned in Standard. Uh, Modern, I'm just going to make a brief side note. Every time there's bans that come up in conversation for Modern, people are like, Unban Stoneforge Mystic. You cannot unban Stoneforge Mystic in Modern. Like, please, tell all your friends you cannot have that card in Modern. It'll so, never happen. Nobody
2: yeah, reasonable says that. It just you ban a human. i so
0: far just mistake
3: that you ban everything. everything. type. Yeah. It's just banned.
0: <laughs> Card is ludicrously powerful. Anyway, uh, so modern. I want to see Death Shadow banned. Cards boring. I don't like that deck. I don't know if it's too good, but I don't. I don't want to see Death Shadow around anymore. I don't like one man of six sixes, um, and I'm okay with Jace being on man, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think so. My hot take is going to be Death Shadow ban. And standard Ulamog ban, Reflector Mage on ban. Done.
1: All right, all right, we're going to see. Uh, I, like, I see a lot of some people in the Facebook groups, get your uh, smugglers, copters now. Like, right now, before uh, the announcement. And uh, I imagine people are going to be refreshing like crazy. Uh, tomorrow, ask the chat for some questions. Just going to ask this because it made me laugh a bit. <laughs> From Davies, will Watsi ever be raving up to errata a card? Probably not. <laughs> I can't see that ever happening. And, um, yeah, that's the show, guys. Anything else, Brian, Robert, Vince, that we had missed? Not that I know of. I don't think anyone's going to Vegas except for you, KYT, right? Are you playing? I am likely not playing uh, any of the early ones. I'm not getting the, in early, so and I'm just going there mainly to chill with my family and... Anyone that's there, just have a good time in Vegas and sick life. Yeah, so you just
3: like you're using a family trip to like hop into the GP for a little bit and hang out yeah. with some
1: Magic Bros. Yeah, some enough. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I think I'm gonna have like I love it there, so I'm gonna have happy. I'm gonna have a great time. And um, so, thanks again to all the First Strike producers: um, Kyle Smirchek, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero, and the other ones that would like to be unnamed um m- much left to all of you and we will see you next monday so for rob brian and vince thanks for being with us thanks for supporting us for 30 episodes and we hope to keep going all the way so see you next time guys